All right, we have another episode with Rainier Shea, or how do you pronounce your name? Rainer. Rainer. <laughs> okay, I had you on the show before. I should know. So tell us why you're here. Well, uh, I'm late to the party in terms of uh, talking about the patriotic socialism debate, uh, which started a few months ago. Uh, but I don't, I don't really care about that because even though that's what prompted me to want to contact you about coming on, uh, there's something I've wanted to articulate since I read the, the book Settlers last year. Uh, last year, I was, I was thinking and talking about anti-colonialism. I was in the online communist spaces. And within these spaces, there's uh, the meme of read Settlers. Uh, this very simple, clear message. So I read Settlers, and uh, what I took away from it was that uh, a, a lot of its messages should be taken seriously, but they should also be sifted through. Because there's one part that I quote in the article of mine that I showed you where uh, the author of Settlers concludes uh, that because the white, uh, the white working class in this country has uh, largely historically worked to screw over uh, colonized peoples, or at least be complicit in some ways in settler colonialism, actually to a, a greater extent than uh, we, we might like to think. Uh, the author predicts that as U.S. imperialism continues to decline in the coming decades, and this was written in 1983, uh, and as the conditions of the U.S. working class continue to de deteriorate in this country, the white working class, the author claims, is not going to be radicalized. Uh, and the author claims that this is clear because uh, according to the conclusions of settlers, um, well, or, or according to the narrative put forth by settlers during the early, early 20th century, during the times of great deep deprivation for the working class in this country, the white working class uh, remains counter-revolutionary in the book's diagnosis. The wor white working class here remains loyal to settler colonialism, uh, but... I, I, I feel like it's more complicated than that. I, this reeks of an undialectical conclusion uh, because uh, as we've, we've seen in recent decades with the continued intensification of neoliberal policies, the uh, hurting of the interests of the working class of all colors, though the white working class has statistically suffered the least, uh, all colors of proletarians in this country have been getting successfully radicalized by their conditions. And uh, the book Settlers uh, only paints the, uh, only, only focuses on the worst examples of white chauvinism uh, within the U.S. working class, or rather it only focuses on the examples of white chauvinism that it can find historically, uh, if, that, if that makes sense. Uh, what I'm saying is there are uh, good ideas and uh, 
ideas that should be taken with caution in this book. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's really interesting how the discourse around this. Sorry. What? Uh, what are some, you know, what are some things, yeah, that you, th you think people should take for caution and what are some things that you, you do agree with? Because I, I, you know, before you contacted me, um, I was looking up the author, um, Jason Kai, and um, there are some criticisms of this person's work. So I want to know your opinion. I haven't read the book yet, so I'm going to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've read the book after uh, getting the actual insight of having uh, read the book. I can conclude that a lot of it, its ideas around the, uh, the potential for counter-revolutionary thinking within the white working class in this country should be taken seriously. We should not just pretend that the colonial contradiction doesn't exist, that uh, what the white working class is uh, as revolutionary as it could be just because it's proletarian. We should pay attention to the examples of uh, the white working class screwing over colonized proletarians that the book puts forth. But at the same time, we shouldn't uh, conclude prematurely that an entire demographic is not capable of being radicalized, which seems to be what this book is implying. Okay, all right. Um, do you, so how do you feel, okay, because I, I know th this conversation, you know, um, started with like people with like uh, Peter Coffin and like Haas and Bosch and, and uh, Caleb Maupin and all them, and they're promoting um, American patriotism or socialist American patriotism. And there's, you know, um, indigenous and black uh, Marxists or radical that, that you know, that, uh, that have given them criticisms and they don't, you know, uh, they, these people don't want to listen. But, you know, the, the group of these, you know, what we'll call them white so chauvinists, uh, they have a following, you know. So there's a bunch of people in the U.S. that are white that listen to these, you know, um, so social media influencers. That we, we, you know, we'll, we'll put Caleb Maupin as an example. This guy is very well spoken. He can quote. He can put quotes out out of thin air very well. He knows history, but he's against you know, decolonization or land back, you know, and he, you know, he paints it in a fucked up way. I saw the, I saw the interview where you spoke with Haas and I was reading the comments, right? Uh, that the live comments during that interview and it was horrific, <laughs> you know? So it's hard because when I started this podcast, I, I, you know, I asked a native person how, you know, when, you know, there's like white, I have white comrades that come up to me and they say, hey, man, like, I don't understand this concept uh, or this episodes over my head when it comes to Native issues. And I think to myself, how can I, um, you know, make these episodes where non-Natives can understand, you know? And I think um, I, I, I asked a Native friend 
um, that, you know, I, I asked her, Hey man, you know, I told the situation and she said, well, maybe your, maybe your podcast shouldn't be for white people. And I was like, no, we need to have solidarity, you know, with working class white people, just everybody, you know, and how can we have solidarity if they don't understand? So in your opinion, how can solidarity be built among the working class whites with, you know, with the colonized people of the U.S., in your opinion? By uh, taking the conversation seriously and not defaulting towards the kinds of knee-jerk reactive positions that uh, these kinds of uh, commentators veer towards, that the people in that chat have uh, been drawn towards. The, I can guess the kinds of comments you're talking about sounds like racist stuff, sounds like really being aggressive in, uh, in glorifying uh, perhaps the American experiment, which is, is really just a, a genocidal experiment. Uh, we need to uh, get beyond the idea that uh, the United States is a real nation that it's it's not anything more than a giant Israel uh, and start uh, seriously talking about what it will look like uh, to abolish colonialism in on this continent uh, for these last couple of years since I met that guy Yamo Aka uh, I've been thinking about uh, or I've been thinking about due to him articulating these ideas to me, uh, the prospect of a post-colonial continent where uh, full sovereignty has been returned to the tribes so that the tribes can potentially work out some kind of autonomous region with the African nation equivalent to the, to the Soviet Union's Jewish autonomous oblast. That's the idea, another idea that Yamo introduced to me. Uh, and this isn't going to be possible under the, the kind of uh, quasi-socialist uh, settler colonial paradigm that these patriotic socialists advocate for. Uh, they say uh, when, when they're uh, challenged on their position that they support land reform, not land back. But what exactly do they mean by this? Uh, it sounds like they're saying that in the event that entire tribal nations uh, start asking for all of their territories back, which uh, is inevitably going to happen, uh, these socialists, these patriotic socialists, if they uh, have the authority to do so, will say no. And where is that going to land them? It's going to perpetuate the colonial contradiction. It's going to lead to a potential conflict between the patriotic socialist parties here and the tribes. And that's the last thing we're going to need if we're going to be fighting off intensive capitalist reaction and uh, trying to rebuild this land after being ravaged by centuries of uh, capitalism and colonialism. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, I remember I told the story a little bit with, uh, I think it was episode 86, um, when I first brought this in the episode 
86, yeah, national liberation or American patriotism. So that's the thing. Um, when I organized back like in the early 2000s, um, I was involved with uh, a social, two socialist organizations out in Los Angeles. And I, I used to talk about in, you know, native sovereignty. And, you know, when I, I, know, I remember one organization, the people did not take kindly to, to sovereignty for the native people. And to me, it was weird because obviously we have sovereignty, there's treaties, you know, there's a history of it and they, they were buying it, but they would make racist comments and um, they would say, you know, really nasty stuff, which I, you know, I said in that episode and it was hard, you know, it, I thought to myself, you know, if this is, you know, socialism or communism, I want nothing, nothing to do with it because, you know, it, it didn't make sense to me that these people did not understand indigenous, you know, the historical materialism of indigenous people, you know, like the, the, the history of treaties, the history of, you know, um, our sovereignty, you know, the, you know, all these things, you know, the, the history of, you know, the back and forth in the courts with the um, federal government, you know, with the communities. And I think that's what is lacking is the education to to move forward so when even when the smartest communists get brought these you know facts to the table and they never heard of it it's just something that they don't they don't um it, it's kind of like I, I feel like it kind of like uh it how do i say this like they're very dogmatic about their their communist ideas there's some dogmatic people you know I always say like Caleb Maupin is pretty dogmatic, you know, and I think uh, so when these ideas get brought about, they they don't they don't want to, to you know, put, put the variable, it's like, it's like a math equation, the variable within the equation of, you know, liberation or decolonization into their brain and then they just, you know, push it to the side. For them, it's easier to say shit like Aslan, you know, or the Black Belt, whatever, you know, rather than look at the, you know, a deeper analysis of the situation. So I think, I, I, I really believe that we need to have solidarity with the non-native people, you know, black, Asian, you know, everybody else and with the working class of the US and have class analysis and have, you know, the knowledge of indigenous sovereignty, you know, and talk about black liberation and pan-Africanism and all these things together. And it, it's, it's a lot more complex than any other country, I think, you know, when it comes to liberation, we have the most complex um, situation when it comes to like, you know, if this was, if this was a math problem, we have a, a bunch of variables with this, within this problem, you know, how do we get to that, you know, the answer is, you know, decolonization, you know, and have everybody in solidarity with each other. It's hard, you know? Right, right. Uh, and it comes back to settlers because I, I think that settlers was quite correct in warning against the types of people who call themselves socialists in this country and uh, take the position uh, that the contradictions of colonialism don't need to be fundamentally addressed uh, that uh, well but basically they take the position of class reductionism 
of assuming that all problems are going to be solved if we just focus on class. Uh, and there's where they can obfuscate the realities of the conditions in this country. It's interesting how you point out that they come from a place of dogmatism, uh, because dogmatism is, is certainly a prevalent problem within uh, the global communist movement, both currently and historically. Dogmatism is behind uh, the rejection of socialism with Chinese characteristics by the Maoists. And so we're, we're seeing a, a different version of that kind of thinking of that kind of rigid mechanistic mindset when we see uh, people uh, claim that Marxism-Leninism is incompatible with the idea of land back. Uh, and then it gets into the kinds of uh, narratives that are put forth by uh, these weird streamers like Haz, who claims that land back is nothing more than a capitalist plot to further corporate power under the guise of native sovereignty. Yeah, that, I saw that that interview this morning. I watched it this morning, and I was just like, uh, he said stuff I can't remember specifically, but I think one, one of those things he said that he compared the Palestinian struggle with the Native American struggle and said that we don't have a fighting chance, the Native people don't, but the Palestinians do. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, or and we haven't been fighting, right? And there was people in the comments that were like, oh, he said that that if, you know, all these really weird stuff, it was like, if we give the Native people their land back, it's going to be feudalism and people in the comments were like oh it's going to be feudalisms with with casino 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 you know tribes and feudalism i was like that's not what land back is that's not what the conversation is you know um native peoples are they do they do we do fight corruption within our own communities you know um like you know recently we had a comanche chairman he, he got kicked out out of office, you know, and because we took care of that, you know, but, you know, it's one of those things that for them to say that we we don't fight, you know, oh, we're not fighting, we're not fighting against the U.S. government. There's a bunch of court cases, you know, um, that we win, there's something we lose, you know, and, and but we're constantly pushing our sovereignty to be stronger, you know, and I think you brought up the Oklahoma situation, right, where they give um have Oklahoma back the jurisdiction back to the tribes and right. he, you know and he 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 was talking about how there's like I don't know he, he was just weird it was just, it was really weird watching that that interview because I would just like like think to myself well, who is this guy why why does he think that like you know like he kept telling you that you know you, you're uh, pushing a moral argument and not a realistic argument. Okay, so I'm gonna be honest with you. I think he's an op. I don't think he's really like. If he's a, I I have a hard time believing that he, that anybody, either he's an op or he's like just fucking idiot, <laughs> because he he's he, just dismisses you from the beginning. 
from the beginning of the interview, he's, you know, very dismissive, just like you said, take it seriously. Has he spoken to Native people? You know, has he spoken to, you know, Black people about decolonization? Has he, you know, sat down and listened to them? Has he read books? You know, has he, you know, all these things, you know, read about these subjects, you know, had a conversation, had, has he asked questions, you know, to the right people? And I used to think that he has it and it's making him, it's making him to be just like this, like total asshole during that interview. Uh, I say really, you know, nasty shit to you. Um, and that it's, it's, discour it's discour discouraging for me because I want, you know, like I want to organize with non-natives and I do, you know, but I think that I'm really cautious because, you know, my experience is like, you know, um, I think some of them think that, you know, land back means that we are going to rule over non-natives or white people and then they're going to be oppressed and that's not the issue. That's not what we're planning to do, you know? And I think um, we just, they just gotta read more. <laughs> but I think, you know, it, it's hard because people just wanna watch YouTube videos and and get like really quick, um, and you know, really quick and really shallow analysis from the internet rather than, take, they, than taking their time and reading, you know? By the way, I wanna say that Yamo was on the show twice. He's been on the show twice. So if anybody listening, you can look up Indigenous Socialism Part Two and Three. He was there. That was, that was him. Uh huh. I didn't know. I didn't know you knew Yamo. <laughs> oh, he was the one who got me to believe all of these things. Yeah, he's a good person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there, there's a very diagnosable reason why these ideas exist. Why we're encountering them. Uh, they've existed for many decades. They've existed since the inception of uh, settler colonialism, uh, I think predating the founding of the United States because in settlers, uh, Sakai, uh, I, I think that's his pen name, talks about how uh, Nathaniel Bacon uh, was, was one of the first instances of a supposed proletarian liberation movement led by white person on this continent when in fact it was a campaign to commit genocide against natives. He was a, a militia leader who rallied other settlers to uh, murder natives uh, and he's upheld as a supposed revolutionary figure in American history, whatever that means. Because the, the concept of America is itself such a uh, such an amorphous, uh, ill-defined concept that's uh, that's been re really used as a as a way to add a sense of national legitimacy to this uh, illegitimate settler colonial project, and these kinds of uh, faux revolutionary figures who claim to be for the working class while screwing over the colonized working class have served to further that sense of uh, bogus legitimacy. And we see more instances of this throughout U.S. history, like, uh, <laughs> like uh, there, there's this really weird narrative I've seen from some about how 
communism was actually created in America. Uh, that's that's what I saw from one random uh, person who once confronted me, who was from the patriotic socialist camp. They claimed that communism began in America, and I think they were referring to the fact that Karl Marx corresponded with Abraham Lincoln uh, for a time. Uh, and uh, even if that, even though that's true, Karl Marx's analyses weren't perfect. Karl Marx was uh, best, I think, as a socioeconomics uh, expert. His analysis was strongest in that department, and he didn't fully grasp the colonial contradiction. He was uh, he was uh, somebody in Europe who was who was looking at the colonial situation from that vantage point. So uh, everything he said or did shouldn't be taken as uh, gospel. And Abraham Lincoln uh, also participated in the genocide against natives. And uh, <laughs> it comes back to Caleb Maupin, too, who apparently has uh, used uh, Lincoln's relationship with Marx as a way to build his own case for communism being as American as apple pie in his own words. There's there's one tweet where Maupin uh, cites uh, all of these communists or supposed communists who've been involved in the U.S. government over the decades as proof that Americanism is compatible with communism and it's it's all obfuscation of the colonial contradiction it's all sidestepping the fact that uh socialism when it's combined with settlerism in this in this country is uh it's equivalent to the defanged socialist movement you see uh, emerging from the zionist working class movement Yeah, I agree. That's 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 you know, um, I think I I started watching that video with with Maupin, um, but if we are talk about liberation, you know, it can't just be the working class. It has to be also you know the colonized people, uh, you know, in here in the U.S. And I think their views are just shallow. I think that's more dogmatic. Their views, you know, like they follow things to the T. And or maybe I don't know. Maybe they have mental gymnastics where they they honestly want to believe that you know they want to uphold or latch on to Americanism. I don't know what's in their mind. I don't I don't know why they can't see that you know the the the, um, the contradiction you know when it comes to colonization within this you know uh, the variable of liberation in the U.S. So. I think people listening, you know, I think any smart person would read and listen um, and see that Maupin and all these other people that patriotic socialists are just full of shit. Hopefully they do see it, right? And I, you know, it's hard. It's hard because like I said, I, I, I don't, people, sh I don't want people to, you know, just follow blindly, even this podcast, you know, but I think there are people that uh, want don't want to let go of Americanism. It's the same thing, you know. When I when I think about, um, you know, even 
people in Mexico, they, they want to hold on to like this Mexican nationalism as like why as a settler colonial construct. You know, you can't, in order for us to really decolonize, we, we have to, you know, abolish all aspects of settler colonization. That's that identity as well. It's not just, you know, the government. You know, if you gave her the government, but we keep the identity, what are we? What are you doing? It's kind of weird, you know. Right. And, well, I I, th- I think that there's a stronger case to be made uh, for uh, Mexican nationalism than American nationalism, certainly because Mexico uh, is an oppressed, exploited country that had a revolution to liberate itself from colonial rule, I think something like a century ago. So I think that's where- uh, I don't agree with that. I'm playing devil's advocate, not saying yeah. that this is the right position to take, just that it's more, it's, it's more understandable for uh, people to hold on to Mexican nationalism these days. I don't agree with that. Yeah, because it's, I don't want to get into that, but Mexican nationalism is, to me, is colonial. Zero, all atrocities Mexico and its nationalism has done towards Native people, I think that's, it's just a disgusting thing. Americanism, it's a, that's the thing, it's like, I think people don't understand or they, they don't know about these things. Just like, just like Americans in this country, like, you know, they get told we're so, you know, America's so great, you know, look, you know, all these, you know, people fought for your rights, you know, and, but, you know, from, from the start, like, all that was to, all that was to, you know, maintain the status quo, you know, for the seller state. It wasn't, it wasn't for liberation of the working class, or, you know, or for all the working class, not just the white one, like, you know, um, in the U.S., so I think, you know, we have to be really careful when, when it comes to, you know, promoting seller identities with whether it's Canada, what, whether it's U.S., whether it's Mexican, you know, and I think um, in order to decolonize, we have to get rid of the state, the identities, the economic system, the military, right, the military that upholds the, the settler state, all that, all that has to, you know, uh, just be abolished and start anew. And it's, it's work, right? All this is work. Right. So, um, but at the same time, it's hard because, you know, people don't understand. So. Uh-huh. The patriotic socialists don't want to do that work. Uh, I mean, that the kind of work we're doing right now of sorting out the the contradictions, how we should view those contradictions, where they lie. Uh, The conversation we just had about Mexico's relation to settler colonialism, that that was, it's been kind of a confusing subject for me to approach because I I reposted a, a tweet you made recently about how uh, waving the Mexican flag is incompatible with anti-colonialism and uh, somebody who said that their family is, is from Mexico strongly objected to it. People were ridiculing me in turn for reposting that. Uh, and uh, I was, I was trying to fi- figure out how seriously should I take these critiques of, 
uh, me and and you? Uh, where where should uh, how, how should I view it? Well, I, uh, I don't understand. They, they were pro waving the Mexican flag, or they were anti waving the Mexican flag. I don't understand. They were pro because they from from their perspective, uh, Mexico is an exploited country that has gained its liberation uh, from colonialism. And they see that history as a vindication of Mexican nationalism. And I've, I've encountered Chicanos in real life who take this stance, but I'm, I'm skeptical of that. I think, I think, you know, these people have re- like, just like the patriotic socialists in America, these, these, these people have a really shallow view of what, Mexican nationalism has done, right? All you have, you know, people, all you have to do is Google indigenismo, mestizaje, you know, or you have to Google the uh, sterilization of, of native and poor women in Mexico. And this is recent. Some of this stuff is recent, right? And and it's, it's just that, you know, they had a revolution, but, you know, was it really for the indigenous people? Why didn't Mexico like why what why is that the, the sovereignty for native people in Mexico almost absent? You know, why is this why is this it's because in Dehenismo, it's because they wanted to assimilate uh uh indigenous people in Mexico into a colonial Mexico into the future. The, you know, the Mexican Revolution did, did not decolonize anything. It didn't. It, it, it I think you know it, it just they used the aesthetics of indigenous people were like, you know, Frida and Diego. And these two people, these two artists, just our example, they were pretty ignorant about indigenous people, but they used the aesthetics of indigenous people or, or their art or, or the clothing or whatever. And they said, hey, look, let, let's, you know, we're all a little bit indigenous. We're all a little bit of black. And it's, it was fuck, it was a fucked up thing. You uh, know? So, yeah. so, so that, that right there. And then they have, you know, like Jose Vasconcelos, um, he wrote the, the, the Cosmic Race. You, you can look the book up. Get, I think it's free online. But this dude was paid by the Nazi party to write, to write newspapers in Mexico. And he, his book is very eugenics, really, really nasty stuff, right? So, so this is what I'm talking about. You know, this, and this is just the, the very surface of how settler Mexico, Mexico uh, the, the the nationalism, how you know, I said it has a history of uh, settler colonization. You know, so I, I really do think that people need to you know dig deeper, you know, into the history of of the you know these countries. It's Canada, you know, the U.S. and Mexico, and then see the atrocities they have done towards native people. You know, and it's it's a lot deeper than just you know reservations or just genocide you know in mexico is very very planned out pretty pretty well to the point where a lot of people don't understand even mexican people don't understand what has happened you know it's it's been it's been a hundred years and some of these ideas are coming back to life it's really scary i think so you know if people want to wave the mexican flag it's just to me it is equivalent to this patriotic socialist the one that waved the american flag that's not decolonization you can't say you know, you know, you know, you want to pro, you know, liberation and then wave a solar colonial uh, flag. It's just like people that say, I would say it would be equivalent to oh, close, you know, to like, you know, 
was the American Revolution really a revolution? You know, was it really a revolution? Was it a bourgeois, you know, uprising against, you know, the king? You know, so it, it's one of those things like what did the Mexican Revolution do for the indigenous people other than, you know, give them some land, but what happens to the communities themselves? What about sovereignty? Why are these why are these native people in Mexico being assassinated, you know, when they stand up for their communities? You know? Oh yeah, yeah. So you know go ahead. There, you know, there, yeah, and when you say there are these ideas that are coming back to the forefront in terms of uh, Mexican nationalism, I've even seen people take the position today <laughs> that Mexico should retake the land that the United States took from it uh, during uh, decades past, uh, which is obviously antithetical to anti-colonialism, to uh, native sovereignty, that it would just be a, a different colonial master. Yeah, that I agree with. Um, you know, I don't want to change the subject too much, but the history of Mexico, the north of Mexico, was very brutal. You know, they, we, you know, the Comanches, we fought against the Mexicans and we 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 beat them, right? And they fought against the Apaches, and the Apaches beat them, and you know, and they purposely tried to invite other people from around the world to settle into the Northern territories because they couldn't win against the natives up there. So they tried to, you know, adopt and mirror American immigration. Um, and a lot of people don't understand that, don't realize that, um, and I don't wanna to get too far into it, but you know, they, you know, they, they invited a lot of Americans <laughs> into Texas and then it backfired. Obviously, you know, they lost the Northern Territory, but they were inviting people over, man, and, you know, to help them out. And, and, and they have to realize that Mexico is not a liberated state. It might be, yes, it might be, you know, um, you know, economically under the thumb of the U.S., you know, but it's still, it's still a settler colonial co uh, construct. It's still a project you know, of settler colonization, 100%. You know, it, it's, it's one settler colonial country on top of another, you know, when it comes to ec economics, politics, you know, geographics. So I think people have to realize that when I talk about decolonization on the show, it's decolonizing Canada, US and Mexico, you know, the, the big three, you know, on, on this continent. There's also, you know, we can talk about Central America, but that's not my place right now you know, talk, to talk about, you know, them. But I do, I do think, you know, um, there has been, you know, I do think people want, they do want this liberation and they do want, you know, revolution. They want, you know, a better, you know, living conditions and they realize capitalism sucks. But they're getting in their ideas from really shallow places uh -huh. on, the, on the internet, you know, and it's it's really hard because you know I try to have solidarity with Chicanos, you know, and everybody, and you know, and I I feel like when you have these conversations with them, you know, they people just just like Haas when you were talking to him, 
they just blow you to the side, you know? And I think that's problematic. Why don't you listen? Recommend some articles, recommend some, you know, um, books, recommend some conversation, ask some question, ask, you know what I'm saying? And, but people don't, they don't ask. They, they, they get defensive, they get angry, and they, 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 they dig deeper into their positions of social, socialist patriotism, which is fucking weird, right? And I will ask people, you know, think about this, you know, imagine we do have revolution, right? And, and the white proletariats are, are in charge of this movement and they don't, and they don't agree with native sovereignty. They abolish the treaties. They, they 100% get rid of treaties and they say, go live autonomously. What is it? What the fuck does that mean? Yeah. What does it mean? What does go live autonomously mean? So, you know, I, I, I brought this up many times in the podcast. Some, some communists don't like casinos. You know, they're going to be like, get rid of casinos. Okay, but what are we going to do? What are we going to do for, for, for work? I mean, this is an history. Like, I don't like casinos either, but it does, they do help out the community. If people hear the casino episode, the history of gaming law, they would know you know what I'm saying? That, you know, gaming money revenue has helped our communities um, because there's almost nothing, there, our, our economic situation on, on some of the reservations are, are pretty bad, right? So some tribes have moved to gaming because it's, you know, not, you know, it's a lot easier than, I don't know, it's, it's not, it, it does help, right? So I, I do think that we need to, you know, have these conversations, but, if, if you know the white proletariat is have example, they have revolution and they say go live autonomously, you know, we're gonna get rid of, rid of treaties. What does that mean? Does that mean we're liberated too? Or is it the white working class that's liberated? They assume that it, everyone's going to be liberated the moment that they implement the equivalent of uh, the Soviet Union system, for instance, but uh, you have to keep asking uh, what does that mean when when you're on, especially when you're on this continent where everything has been redrawn by colonialism? You you always have to keep asking the these questions about where the contradictions lie, what it will actually take to uh, liberate all of the masses, and they want to stop asking questions fairly quickly and just just skip straight to their mechanistic uh, fantasies. And when you bring up casinos and how uh, there's this dogmatic uh, opposition to them, like total, totalizing opposition to them, because uh, obviously casinos aren't the greatest thing in the world, uh, it, it parallels how the Maoists uh, vilify the Communist Party of China for not uh, abolishing uh, private businesses uh, all already, how they claim that this is counter-revolutionary when it's been essential towards bringing China out of severe poverty. And that's uh, what's apparently essential for uh, economically helping these struggling native communities. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, um, China's not perfect, but I think they're doing a good job fighting against, you know, Western imperialism, you know, bringing people out of poverty, you know, and 
just holding back, you know, colonization again, because China was colonizing, you know, if people hear the, the um, series with Carvazal, they would see, you know, how colonization is just intertwined globally. But I think, you know, I, I just think that um, we're not gonna have real liberation or decolonization unless, you know, colonized people are in the forefront, you know, of, of these movements, you know, and, and in the same time be in solidarity with, you know, the working class, whether, whether it's any ethnicity, not just white, not just, you know, people of color, it has to be all working class people, you know. Um, I don't, you know, there's some, there's some weird narratives out there that um, people say that if Native American people have their land back, um, that they are going to kick white people out back to Europe. And that's, I don't agree with that. You know, I, I don't, I've never heard that. I heard that once from a person, but I didn't take them seriously because, you know, it was just like, what? But no Native person, no Native, you know, Marxist have, has ever said some shit like that. <laughs> so yeah. I've never heard, you know, anybody that was serious said that. I mean, people want to leave, it's fine, but we're not, we're not going to sit here and oppress anybody. We're not going to make anybody secondhand citizens. You know, nobody's going to be, you know, thrown into like gulags or anything like that. It's a weird projection going on. I think also fantasizing of creating a Soviet Union of the U.S. is also lazy analysis. Like, you know, copy and paste, you know, a style system. I heard that too, like create a, a Soviet Union type system here. And I was like, what? You know, I think um, we have to, there's no, you know, copy and paste. This is, you know, the U.S. is in Canada and Mexico are all in very unique situations. Even, even within ourselves, the big three in, on this continent, uh, it's not copy and paste, you know, solutions amongst each other. You know, the, the, the situations that are in Mexico are not the same as the situations here in, in in the U.S., there are you know class struggles. There is you know uh, the the indigenous uh, sovereignty issue, indigenous movements, and you know, and uh, but it's not the same. You know, I think we have to look at them kind of closely together, but at the same time, like separately, because they have such differences. You know. Yes. Yes. Uh, I started off uh, wanting to talk about uh, how we should view settlers as scientific socialists. Uh, by settlers, I mean the the book. Uh, and I think we've figured it out that we should uh, take seriously its ideas while um, sifting through and pointing out uh, its ideas that are not best to uh, carry forth, like its conclusion that the white working class is not able to be radicalized. It's, it's more complicated than that. There are plenty of whites who can be radicalized. Uh, it's, 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 that's only true insofar as whites uh, statistically are less likely to be radicalized. Uh, which is why I, I think that colonized peoples uh, are going to be the vanguard of the revolution on this continent.
Yeah, and I think, you know, at the same time, there's really good, very knowledgeable white people out there that are, you know, communist, socialist, you know, leftist, and they understand colonization, they understand, you know, decolonization, and I trust them. You're really good comrades, you know? And I think, you know, we should, we shouldn't generalize, you know, white people in general, you know, into one clump of just ignorant people when, you know, they, you know, it's, you know, I, you know, I understand that the history of, you know, you know, uh, the, the white working class working against colonized people working against, you know, black, black workers, and that's, that's a problem. But at the same time, we need to really be in solidarity. That's all I can really say, right? So, uh, I don't know, I just feel like I have, you know, a lot of experience with, you know, a, communist and socialist organizations, even anarchist, white anarchist organizations. And I um, had really bad experiences, but at the same time, I, you know, on the, on the journey, I have met really good white comrades that also, you know, have stood up for me. So um, I don't know, I, I'm partially I'm optimistic, <laughs> partially I'm pessimistic. <laughs> so, uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> I feel like the patriotic socialists have used settlers as a straw man. Uh, they call anybody who advocates for land back a Sakaiist. Uh, and whatever Sakai, actual Sakaiists there are out there, they seem pretty fringe uh, compared to the broader movement for anti-colonialism. I, I, I feel like most people... Uh, who are part of the decolonial movement are more reasonable than the types who uncritically promote the ideas of settlers and uncritically promote the conclusion that uh, whites are uh, incurably counter-revolutionary. That, that just seems intuitively illogical. Yeah, I think at the same time, you know, I don't want to be too conspiracy theory, but we have to realize that the government you know, uh, likes to sow distrust within the, you know, the left and they do fund people that pretend to be leftists and then to mix up the waters. You know, like I saw this thing about how the, the FBI used anarchists to uh, sow distrust within, you know, communists, you know, and I think, I think, you know, that's what it probably is probably going on right now, man, on the internet, because you don't know who's who and you don't know who's talking or putting these ideas, and to me, anybody that's white that talks about uh, against, you know, decolonization land back or land back, to me, they're suspicious as fuck, right? right. It, it just, you know, like I said, I don't want to be too conspiracy theory, but any anybody that 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 is anti-decolonization or land back is sus as fuck. Like, are who are you working for? Why are you so determined not? To be, you know, not to be for decolonization or even native people or even listening to native people. Like, like, like Caleb does not want to listen. You know, I invited him on his podcast and I and I he was gonna come on. And then I gave him the episode with Nick Estes, and he said, I don't like this shit. I was like, what don't you like about it? He was like, you know what? I just don't like it. I don't want to talk about it. And he just backed away from being interviewed here. And I was I was gonna, you know, uh <laughs> you know have a serious conversation with him but he backed off and that's that's the characters these people are they're this is their character they don't want to 
have conversation, especially like a public conversation with indigenous or black people when it comes to decolonization. They say what they say, and then they're very, very careful about what they say, and then they just go hide in their corner. And then they 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 block anybody that you know approaches them on the internet, on Twitter or you know, Facebook, whatever, because Kelly Max blocked me everywhere, you know. And that's it. So I, I think that you know the white working class can be radicalized, but we have to you know work against these chauvinists, work against these dogmatic American socialist patriot, you know, whatever they want to call themselves. So yeah. It seems like the CPUSA's leadership has been uh, drawing some clearer boundaries uh, between themselves and the, those types who seek to co-opt their party. And the, apparently the Communist Party USA has uh, had problems with the colonial contradiction. I mean, it's, it's right in their name. Uh, and uh, the, has has been latching onto them, uh, but it, it's it's good to see them uh, taking uh, a a good stand against these types of incorrect ideas. I saw a graphic from apparently from the CPUSA that was portraying somebody I don't know who sweeping away uh, depictions of. Caleb and has, and I, I think Hinkle might have been there too. They were getting swept off the globe, like how Lenin was sweeping away the monarchs and capitalists in that famous Soviet image. Well, I think it's a good start. Um, I think I saw that too, uh, but you know, I didn't. I guess I didn't. I guess I didn't pay attention too much. I saw it, it was like a cartoon, right? But right. yeah. Yeah, hopefully that's a good start, you know. Like like I don't I don't expect um white communists to know everything about decolonization or every little intricacy. But I think that's what we we're gonna be in solidarity. So when you have a question, just like you have a question, you ask Yamo. Yamo's a really intelligent person, right? And you right. have that 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 reference there, and it's fine. You don't have me, I don't know everything sometimes. Some people that know about subject more than I do, and I, I, I say, hey man, well, how do you feel about this? And can I get your insights of that? And I, it's fine. We should have that community. You know, I think we talked about that in some other episodes about about uh, community. You gotta be in community with people in order to, you know, to have these conversations. And um, it sucks because you know COVID has separated us for a while. But just you know, don't be afraid to reach out to your comrades. And ask for their opinions, and don't and ask for different opinions too. Not just not just Caleb Maupin <laughs> or Haas. So fuck right. them. Don't, don't even ask them for their opinion. They fucking suck. <laughs> right. I mean, I I've had to. I, I think that's been really important for me in my development because I've heard some uh, takes from some people who've uh, been in this movement in the communist movement or. Uh, claim to be part of this movement and they sounded really compelling in the moment like the idea that mexican nationalism is good due to mexico's oppressed position or the idea that uh gangs are good instruments for revolution because they're uh 
because Chicano, the Chicano nation is uh, large, largely tied into gangs, but oh, man. I, whoever said that was racist, even if they're brown, <laughs> fuck that. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, that was, that, that was, weird, that turned out to be a weird take that I uncritically absorbed when I was uh, less developed. <laughs> and no, it I, I, no I, I agree with you. I think, I think when, yeah, so when I, when I started this podcast and then I was about to interview you, I asked a comrade of mine, he's white. I was like, hey man, have you heard of you know Rainer Rainer? And he was like, Yeah, I want to interview him. And I was like, What? I'm gonna interview him anyways. <laughs> so I interviewed you and then I gave him the episode, and he said, he told me that you've grown a lot, right? And it's a good thing. And I was like, Yeah, you know, like people grow, like you know, um, I think you know, we you know, people, you know, on the internet or even within like fox intellectuals they, they they feed a lot of shit and i think that um they feed us a lot of shit and we have to be really careful what we learn and then we learn bull, bullshit we have to unlearn it you know what i'm saying and um i think you have you have you know it's a really good thing that you're advocating for what you what you have done when it comes to decolonization and back the you know um our sovereignty right and i thank you for that yeah i'm i'm uh really glad to have gone through this journey uh yamo was uh was was saying that uh that he, he feels like he's uh not the the best equipped uh to put these ideas into writing uh so i i said to him um uh don't uh, feel discouraged that you haven't been able to write essays about these decolonial ideas because all, all you've had to do is articulate them to me and I've ran with them. Yeah. It, yeah. And you know, he's, being, he's being very humble, I think, because Yamo's pretty smart. Um, and I, I think if, if somebody like Haas would have been speaking with Yamo, he Haas would have like he's had a hard time. I think I think I think he would have done the same thing he would have done with you, be, be very dismissive, you know. But you know, I, I it's hard. I don't think he's I don't think Haas is ready to listen to anybody. But you know, I I I don't know. Like um I just want to say thank you and do you have anything else or huh well uh I'm I'm glad that uh, I was uh, willing to take the time to read Settlers because I encountered others who uh, have said that they they've started to read Settlers but then stop reading it because they feel like these ideas are just are just garbage. Uh, but uh, I've taken the position that you should be willing to absorb and analyze uh, works that you may not totally agree with that you may even find repugnant just for the sake of getting to know them in depth so that you can properly understand them and uh, what may be right or wrong in them and how to properly repudiate them if you judge that their ideas are incorrect. Uh, yeah. People have uh, attacked me as a psychiatrist 
someone wants to attack me as a psychiatrist for citing uh, settlers, for quoting settlers in that article. Then I explained, I'm not a psychiatrist. I only quoted uh, settlers for the sake of critically examining its ideas. Well, you know, I'll, I'll take a read. I'll, I'll read it. And I'll, I think we, maybe we can do a part two, you know, after I read this book. How do you feel about that? Okay. Yeah. And then maybe we can invite Yamo on the show too. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, well, uh, thank you. Don't hang up. Don't. <laughs> I'm going to um, stop the recording. Thank you for coming on. And thank you. All right.